Well, good morning. My name is Todd Jones, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. One of my favorite movies is The Grand Canyon. It's a story of two men, Mac, a white, wealthy um, guy that lives in the... I'm going to start over. Is that okay? Good morning. My name is Todd Jones, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. Well, one of my favorite movies is The Grand Canyon. It's a story of two men, one named Mac. He's a white, wealthy, affluent guy that lives in the upper part of L.A. And the other is Simon, an African-American, hardworking tow truck driver from South Central L.A. A set of unfortunate circumstances calls these two men to meet And over the course of time, they develop a great friendship in the midst of the height of the racial divides in L.A. And in one scene, Mac and Simon, they're sitting outside of the garage on the curb, and they're drinking a beer, and they're talking about life, and talking about all that the the men have faced. And Mac asked Simon how he was able to maintain such a positive attitude through it all. Simon asked him, If he's ever been to the Grand Canyon. And Mac says no. And then Simon proceeds to share that he visited visited the canyon once. And he said as he sat on the edge of the canyon. When he was there. I'm going to have to go start over again. Yeah, again. Here we go. All right. It's easier to do this when there's people in the room. Okay. Good morning. My name is Todd Jones, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. Well, one of my favorite movies is the movie The Grand Canyon. It's a story of two men, one by the name of Mac. He's a white, wealthy man that lives in upper L.A., and the other is Simon, an African-American man, a hardworking tow truck driver that lives down in south-central L.A. A set of unfortunate circumstances calls these two men to meet. And over the course of time, they develop a great friendship in the midst of the height of the racial, racial divides in L.A. In one scene, Mac and Simon, they're sitting outside of his garage talking about the hardships that both of the men have faced. And Mac asked Simon how he was able to maintain such a positive attitude through it all. Simon asked him if he's ever been to the Grand Canyon. Mac says no. And Simon proceeds to share that he had visited there once. He said it's one thing to see it in pictures, but when you are there in person, the canyon is so vast and brilliant that it takes your breath away. It's as if the rocks are crying out to you, reminding you that though you are important and the things that you are facing are difficult, you're going to be okay. Simon said there's something more majestic and beautiful in the universe, holding everything together. Now, over these past weeks with the pandemic, it's like we have been hit by a tsunami. And we keep waiting for the waters 
to recede, yet they continue to rise. In my conversations with many of you over the past week, it feels like the tension is growing. And many of you have hit a wall. You're particularly tired of thinking of creative ways to keep the kids entertained. And you find yourself being short-tempered with them, with your spouse, and with others. In order to make it through this time, we, like Simon, need to see and be reminded that there's something greater going on in us. That there's something greater in our world that will help us make meaning of this and give us hope. And so this Easter morning, I want to invite all of you to come and sit with me on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And listen to a grand story that begins in Genesis and goes through Revelation. It is the gospel story that brings meaning to the chaos that we are experiencing. And that offers hope to us no matter what our circumstances. The first and greatest summation of the gospel story is found in Genesis 3.15. God declares, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. From this verse, there is one principle that I want us to consider this morning. And that principle is that God has a plan and offered us a promise To deliver his people. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful this Easter morning to celebrate you. To celebrate the resurrection. And Lord, as we're in our living rooms, I pray that you would take away any distractions. That we could hear from you this morning. That we could be encouraged as we hear this grand story. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So the one principle that I want us to consider this morning is that God has a plan and offered us a promise to deliver his people. Now, while the pandemic is new darkness to all of us, it's symptomatic of an age-old war that has been going on since the beginning of time between God and Satan. In Genesis, after creating the earth, God created man and woman, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were free to be with God, to be with one another, and they were called to subdue the earth and fill it. The whole world was at peace. There was no weeping, there was no sickness, there was no death. And the one thing that God asked Adam and Eve not to do was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis 3, we read that the serpent came to Adam and Eve and tempted them to disobey God. He told them if they ate from the tree that they would be like God. And with one bite of the apple... Sin and death entered our world. And the peace that once existed between God and man was broken. 
Because of man's folly, Satan began to control the world. Their disobedience, disobedience unknowingly put all of humanity under the dominion and control of Satan. Luke speaks of Satan's rule over the world in Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. He writes, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite preachers, says because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, humanity moved into a large castle governed by a powerful chieftain. And all of those living in the castle, they were free to move about the castle. They weren't locked in their rooms. But if they tried to escape, the powerful chieftain would send his legion of officers after them and club them to death. This was the plight of mankind. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that Satan is the god of this world. And we are all unknowingly trapped in the powerful chieftain's castle. But the good news this morning, the good news of Genesis 3.15, is that God set in motion a program and a promise of hope to Adam and Eve and to us today. The whole message of the Bible is summarized in this one verse. God will conquer and defeat Satan and deliver people from the enemy's foul dominion. Martin Lloyd-Jones says God in this verse declares that he is not just about making us happier, brighter, or physically healthy. His purpose is to overthrow the one who runs the castle. Look again with me at verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between Satan and the woman, between your seed and her seed. The promised seed of the woman will bruise Satan's head and Satan will bruise his heel. In this one verse, God draws the battle lines in what is to be an epic war. God fighting against Satan to overthrow him and truly set the people in the castle free. Two lines, two seeds warring against one another. And as we read on in Genesis, we see the battles begin at once between two sons, Abel and Cain. Cain full of anger and hatred toward Abel. And Abel full of innocence and love being slain by his brother Cain. Then we move on to Noah and his family. This is the same conflict as Cain and Abel, except this time Noah and his family are saved by God and the rest of the world perishes. Kids, you're familiar with the story. God revealed his plan to Noah. He told Noah to build a large ark and to fill the ark with pairs of animals, male and female, from every species on earth. 
And Noah built the ark. And the people mocked him. One hundred years passed. And still, not a drop of rain. No flood. But then God called forth the rain and the seed of the woman fighting against the seed of the serpent. The waters covered the earth and Noah and his family and the animals' lives were spared. Then we see these two seeds continuing to battle with one another as God calls Abraham. God tells Abraham that he's going to be a father of a great nation. And from him will come the seed of the woman who will bruise Satan's head. God established a people, the Israelites, to be blessed and to be a blessing to the world. They were constantly opposed by the seed of the serpent. They had dissenters inside and outside of their camp. There were times in Israel's history when it looked as if the seed of the woman was going to lose. Yet God sent prophets like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah to remind the people of Genesis 3.15 and God's plan and his great promise. Jeremiah witnessed the fall of the temple in Jerusalem and the people of God being sent into exile in Babylon. It would have been very easy in the midst of such darkness to think that God had abandoned his people and that Satan was able to thwart his plan. But God was still at work. The seed of the woman will bruise Satan's head. And then after God sends Malachi to remind the people once again of Genesis 3.15 and to offer hope, There's silence for 400 years. I'm struggling with the social distance for 30 days. Can you imagine darkness and silence for over 400 years? And during that time, there was terrible persecutions. Jerusalem and the Holy Land was completely sacked. It appeared as if the seed of the serpent was triumphant over the seed of the woman. But no. God has a plan. And He has promised to deliver His people and to free us from the castle. God has not, nor will He ever abandon His people. No matter how dire the circumstances. And Paul says in Galatians 4, 4 through 8. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature who are not gods. You see, Jesus is the true seed of the woman. 
He is the third person of the Trinity who took on flesh and blood and entered into our world, fully God and fully man. And when he was born, we see the battle between the seeds intensify. King Herod, representing the seed of Satan, sets out to destroy the seed of the woman, the baby Jesus. He gives an edict that all the firstborn sons are to be murdered. In the Gospels, they tell us that there was great weeping in Israel as mothers and fathers lost their firstborn baby sons. But God rescued Jesus, warning Joseph to take him and Mary away before the slaughter began. Then fast forward almost 30 years and we see Jesus and Satan. They're going head to head like a heavy weight battle in the desert. And though tempted in every way by Satan, Jesus prevails. Then the unthinkable happens. As the seed of the serpent, he enters Judas and he causes Judas to betray Jesus with a kiss. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten and sentenced to death on a cross. Though completely innocent, he was given the death sentence and treated like a common criminal. People gathered around him and they yelled, crucify him. The seed of the serpent certainly grinning from ear to ear, thinking he had finally won. And then Jesus hanging on the cross, he looked out at the people And he said to his father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And then Jesus took his final breath and died on the cross. It had appeared as if the seed of the serpent had overcome the seed of the woman. It appeared that Genesis 3.15 was more of a folly than a plan. And that the promise was more of a wish than a reality. But God had a plan from the beginning of time. And he is faithful to keep his promises. And one of my favorite scenes in the Bible is found in John 20. Mary Magdalene, she's distraught over the loss of her beloved Savior. She goes to Jesus' tomb. And she sees that the stone has been rolled away. And so she runs back and tells Peter and John that the tomb is empty. And they run back and they see that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And Peter and John leave and Mary, she stands there and she's weeping. And as she looks into the tomb, two angels speak to her. And they ask her, why? Why are you weeping? And she says, someone's taken my Savior's body away. If you'll just tell me, I'll go. I'll go and find him. And right after that, she turns around. And she sees what appears to be a gardener. But it wasn't the gardener at all. It was the resurrected Jesus. Hear these words that Jesus says to her. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. And in that moment, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus Christ is alive. Martin Lloyd-Jones says he literally tasted death for everyone, but in so doing, he bruised the serpent's head. Jesus Christ triumphed over the grave and triumphed over Satan. God's great plan and promise were being fulfilled. Jesus gave Satan a mortal wound from which he will never recover. The curse of sin and dominion of Satan was broken. The powerful chieftain of the castle was overthrown. And the people of the castle were set free. Yet you might be thinking this morning, but what about the pandemic? People are still dying. The darkness is still over us. And evil still persists in our world. Yes, for a time, this is true. Satan still has influence in our world. But remember, he no longer has dominion. The seed of the woman has defeated the seed of the serpent. The great reversal has begun. Jesus is king and his kingdom is growing. The social distancing is working, working to push back the pandemic. But if it were not for the power of God, the pandemic would be so much worse. And the most beautiful thing is that this Easter morning, we celebrate the fact that because Christ is risen, those who profess faith in him can have new life. Death has lost its sting. And one day, Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, will come again to consummate his kingdom. He will come to take away Satan's influence and to destroy him once and for all. Revelation ends our great story talking about Jesus making all things new. Where there's no more pandemics, no more suffering, no more sin, and no more death. This is the gospel message contained in Genesis 3.15 and proclaimed and demonstrated from Genesis to Revelation. This is the grand story that we need to preach to ourselves again and again as we sit on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It is this grand and beautiful story that helps us make sense of these dark times. It helps us make sense of our own stories. It is this gospel that gives us hope this morning and tomorrow morning and forevermore. Happy Easter, church. Jesus Christ is risen. The seed of the woman has triumphed over the seed of the serpent. He is risen indeed. 
Amen.